Welcome to episode 44 of the Series About Security podcast for June 19, 2013. Uh, brought to you by the Center for Education and Research and Information Assurance and Security, or Sirius at Purdue University. We're trying a new video format where we're both actually on the same camera feed this week, and we're obviously not joined by Keith Watson. Um, I am joined by Mike Hill, and I'm Preston Wiley. And so we'll start off with Mike, who has the first article this week. Thanks, Preston. Uh, so uh, Yahoo just announced that they are going to uh, clean up their deadbeat accounts. Um, after July 15th, any account that's not been accessed in the previous year um, will be released into the pool sometime in mid-August. So that means if you've got a Yahoo account or multiple Yahoo accounts, and uh, like me, you haven't really been using them much recently, uh, those are going to go away. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is a, I guess, a bit of a stretch for security, but uh, there are some security concerns related to this announcement. Uh, obviously, Yahoo is wanting to kind of rebrand themselves and, and, and you know, kind of uh, grow their user base. I think they've been overhauling their site over the last year. And this is an attempt, I think, to kind of grab some attention and say, we've got new services and can come visit our site. Um, and for those that aren't using their services, they're saying, well, uh, we're going to turn over your accounts. Uh, what do you need to know? Well, if you have a Yahoo account, you might want to go ahead and log in so it doesn't get uh, given away. Uh, even if you don't use it very often, if you've got any information in there and you've got people that are contacting you through that email address, then um, when Yahoo relinquishes that information, relinquishes that account and someone else signs up and uses that handle, then all emails that were going to you would go to that person. I think so, you have to specifically log into your email. Yes, your email yeah. account. Yes, yes, yes. Your yeah. Th this is related to the email. Um, so, what that would give them is any new emails coming in under that handle. So, um, you know, if you've got relatives you don't stay in touch with very often, and um, they only know you under that one email address, they could send information to that account, and you know, they could send personal information that uh, someone who innocently gets that account, that new handle, says, oh, well, now I know more information about this person, and maybe they could use it against you in some kind of an attack. Um, to, to be on the safe side, if you have Yahoo email addresses, uh, I would just recommend uh, logging in. If you log in, then if you log in before July 15th, then your account won't be removed. Well, I think the general rationale behind this, unless I'm wrong, is that Yahoo generally didn't release these. You get an email address, and once an email address was picked, even if a user never used it at all, then it would just be it wouldn't be available for use ever again. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. And uh, so, I mean, Yahoo's been around for a long time, longer than Google. And uh, so, I don't know if they had email, how long they've had email, but. I mean, you'd assume that most of the good email addresses have been taken. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure that probably that's their justification is allow new users to get the IDs that they want that haven't been used for a while. And you know, I, I can understand that. But yeah, I mean, if you had if you signed up for like you chose Yahoo as like a junk email account or something like that for some service. And we're like, well, I'm, I, you know, I just need an email. 
address to sign up for this account because they don't want to give them my 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 personal email address. I will just create a Yahoo account for whatever, and uh, you haven't used it for over a year. Then somebody else could take that. They can use it to maybe have a password link and uh, technically maybe be able to reset your password. And that's one, in my opinion, security concern. Yes, and that's a good point, that if you're using that email address with other sites and you let it go away, then as you said, you could reset passwords into other sites. You know, so if you're using that Yahoo address, um, you know, for, for other sites, for, for your banking site, for example, or, you know, something along those lines, and then you let it go away, um, which I'm assuming you wouldn't, because a banking site you think you'd use more often. But just to say you, you set it up a long time ago and you forget about it, you're not aware of it, then like you said, someone who grabbed that new email address um, could then use the forgot, forgot password feature and potentially kind of get in. Uh, do you think um, that hackers and stuff will see this as an opportunity as well? That, Try to kind of go in there and suck up the new email addresses. I mean, do you think anything like that? Do you think Yahoo has anything in place to prevent that? I mean, once these addresses become available, I mean, in theory, hackers could go out there and try to grab up as many of the I mean, good email addresses. The only thing possible. I can think of is is a convoluted attempt at phishing, maybe some spear phishing. Is it all? You know, if, if you if you have somebody like say I had a say I had a Yahoo account here. For example, you know, and that was my email address, and I changed it uh, a year and a half ago to a new address. There might be I could, as a malicious person, I could get the email address, and I could maybe send an email as the person who had that address a year and a half ago to a relative or or whatever, and maybe get in. You know, they think I'm actually who I say I am because that was my email address a year and a half ago, or maybe they wait to see if you know, people haven't updated their contact list with a new email address. Because um, I, I did, ch I changed the email addresses quite a while ago, and I still get some people who say, "Oh, your email doesn't work," or whatever. And it's like, well, my email address changed a long time ago. So there's some people who would probably still have your old email address, and if you see people who have your old email address, then you can probably, as long as you knew enough to about this person to to uh, pretend you that you're them, then you might be able to convince somebody you are them. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing with these email addresses is, um, you know, in the article they do they use Joe Schmo, so I'll, I'll use that as an example as well. And there may actually be a Joe Schmo at Yahoo.com. We don't know; <laughs> it might actually exist. Um, but I think that's a good example of. What I call, you know, the, the good or the desired email addresses. You know, it's just your first and last name, no numbers, no, you know, I'm not number 55. It's just a good, clean email address at Yahoo.com. Um, and sometimes identifying information is right there in the email address, and that's a, a good example of if you get Joe Schmo at Yahoo.com, if it becomes available and you take it, then you can send emails as if you're Joe Schmo. Um, and I wonder if people. You know, um, we'll even try to kind of do some digging backwards on that email address and see if they can find out more things on how it was used previous to the last year. You know, we know these accounts have been inactive at least a year, but prior to that, 
what was their usage, what was their history. Um, were there newsletter articles where that email address was referenced, things like that that tells you more about it. Um, I don't know, we might just be really paranoid here, it might not be a big deal. Uh, there might not be much fallout from it, but the potential exists because they're relinquishing these email addresses. Um, and they're doing it rather quick, I think. You know, they're saying as of July 15th, if it's not been used in a year, uh, you know, it's going to be relinquished into the pool and made available as of mid-August. So there's not much turnaround time there either. Um, I kind of, I always assume that providers like this kind of let it sit there and kind of get stale for a bit. But I think in this case they're saying when they're available, they're available. Try it. It's it's an it's one that was that went inactive. You can have it. So. We'll have to see. I don't know what other people's, what other companies' policies are. I don't know what Google's policy is for Gmail. I don't know what Microsoft's policy is for Hotmail. And I can't think of any other free email providers off the top of my head. But there's a lot of them, and I don't know what their policies are. So I'm just wondering how in line a year is with the other major, you know, free email providers. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember a time when the other providers have said they'll relinquish it. Well, maybe office. they just do it. Maybe they, they just do it. Yeah. They just, maybe they just do it after a year, two years, or something like that. Because I mean, it, it makes sense that if the email account isn't used, you want to give it back you know, to well, the pool. But yeah. how how long do you wait? And that's I think really the uh, the question on you know that that is the concern is a year. Is a year enough, or should it be two years, or three years, or five years? I mean, when, how long is enough time for an email account not to be used before it should be considered you know, available for reuse? Well, yeah, in, in use in this case, I think it's a subjective term. You know, they say to use it, you have to be sending from it. But for some people, like you said, is a junk mail filter. I mean, there is a use for them in that. They, they send all their junk mail that way. Um, and yet, you know, they never send messages from that account that will treat it as an inactive. I mean, telephone providers, they reuse telephone numbers pretty much instantly. If you give up your cell phone number, you know, it may be in use the week after. Unlike, unlike, cell, unlike phone numbers, emails have more identifying information in them generally. Like Joe Schmo at Yahoo.com, you know the name of the person. With a telephone number, you have no clue whose it was. Uh, but, you know, you could search the internet and maybe find, well, find instances of the number being used. So. Yeah, what I find interesting is what led me to a Yahoo account was, um, it was years ago, and in those days I was switching internet providers like every six months, you know, um, switching up between dial-up and then DSL and high speed. And I settled on Yahoo at that time. Um, because I was like, well, I can give out this email address. It'll never have to change. Um, now, to be fair to Yahoo, um, I think it's okay. I, I mean, I think it's uh, a reasonable expectation that if people are not using the email service to send messages that you can take away that free service from them. But um, I think that's where it's a little bit different because I, you know, changing internet providers, you know, right off the bat, that's one of the keys they hold you with, right? Is well, you're going to lose your email address. Uh, with us if you change. And so I think people wanted to go to Yahoo, Hotmail, Gmail because they could say, well, here's my address and no matter what my provider, it's not going to change. Uh, but now with Yahoo, it is if you're not using it. Right. You know? um, 
if you're not send, if you're not actively using it, they're going to give it away. So if you don't want to lose it, uh, you need to log in. Um, you need to log into it. And uh, I, I'm assuming that's enough, actually. Now that I think about it, I logged in the other day. I deleted a bunch of spam on my account, but I didn't send a message. I'm I'm assuming it's enough just to log in through their website. Yeah, I, I, using think, their email address. I, think, I think that's what they've said, is you just need to log in. Yeah. Um, but anyway, do you want to go on to the next one then? Yeah, we can go okay. on. The next one is mine, which is uh, <clears throat> the FDA is calling for medical device makers to focus on cybersecurity. Um, and we, I think we've talked about on this podcast once about uh, medical device security issues. Um, so I think I don't I don't know off the top of my head which episode that was, but uh, apparently the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is saying they uh, they uh, may not approve uh, medical devices in the future if they don't uh, comply with their standards for uh, to, for protection against malware and cyber attacks. And um, that they released this on uh, Thursday, following reports that some devices have been compromised. Um, so uh, I think this is a definitely a step forward for the FDA um, on on these medical devices because I think I think it hasn't been the concern of the medical device manufacturers. Security hasn't been. They, they don't think, oh, well, you know, uh, in order to match with it, you need physical access. But as medical devices get more and more um, advanced, they have wireless capability, they have, uh, and, and things like that. And the, and, the, and the reality that they can be uh, messed with, infected with malware or uh, be subject to cyber attacks has become more and more of a, a reality. And there's been demonstrations by various people on attacks on medical devices. Um, I think insulin pumps have been targeted um, <clears throat> and can be messed with from a distance. Now, I don't think it's quite the distance that has been in the news, but I think they're they're wireless and they they, they do have the ability of, of some cyber attack capability, um, which could potentially lead to harm or death. For people, so the the nature of these cyber attacks are not like, oh, you stole my credit card number. <clears throat> it's oh, you killed me, or you gave me a heart attack, or or whatever. So I mean, this is this is something that's moving more from fiction. I think we've seen lots of works of fiction based on these attacks to uh, something that could actually happen. And the FDA is making a stance that's saying, if you don't think about this issue. Then we may not approve your devices, and that you know that could be the death nail for the company potentially. Yeah, why well, I think it's a, a great step by the FDA. Um, I think it's a a little sad that it's a necessary step um, because as makers of those devices, I would think that um, that should be one of the um, things you're considering as you're building the device and as you're developing it, uh, thinking of those um, concerns. But but I know many times when developing new devices, new applications, everything, a lot of it is time pressure. You want to provide all the newest features, and you want to get it to market. And with these medical devices, I think it's a little bit of a, of a different shift. As you said, 
Um, a bug in software on a website, uh, while it can do damage to your business and potentially you know, devastating financial damage, it often can't result. It, worst case, it usually does not result in someone's death. Um, in these cases, medical devices, now I, I don't know that it's ever happened yet, but you can imagine a worst case scenario could could lead to someone's death. The FDA has said they're not aware of any injuries or deaths occurring due to uh, cyber security incidents on medical devices, but they've seen them demonstrated. Right, right, and I think some of this, I know one of the articles we linked to was uh, talking about insulin pumps, but it's from August 2011, I think it was a, a black hat demonstration. Um, so I mean there's definitely proof of concepts there, and I think that's you know, that's some of the things they have to consider when you're making these devices are uh, all the features, like you said, you know, uh, the wireless capability, um, you know, is it really necessary? Are things configurable? Um, I know there was some debate over uh, the insulin pump thing from, uh, from almost two years ago. Uh, there were some counter articles that said, well, this is kind of getting blown up a little bit. These are things you can turn off or on. Uh, I think those are the kinds of things we need. You know, just like these devices, if there's certain features that you don't need, that you have the option to turn them off. Like if I don't need the wireless capability, I can sure I can turn it off, or I can select a device that doesn't have that. Um, and if it's a if it's necessary that it has it, that there's appropriate security controls in place. Um, you know that there's an awareness of what these things can do. I mean, I'm thinking of. You know, some of this is just kind of flooding the device with information, too. I mean, these are all things that need to be thought of, you know, that should be tested out, you know, before it's released is, what if I flood this device with data? Does it either release all the insulin or release none? You know, what happens if I interfere with this device? Can it, you know, can it respond adequately or is it just going to malfunction? Right. I mean, these, these are the kinds of benchmark tests. Uh, these manufacturers need to conduct. Well, I, and I think the problem is that these medical devices are developed by doctors and medical professionals and not by IT people or security professionals. I mean, the IT, I'm guessing the, I'm, I would guess that a lot of the IT stuff is just kind of, you know, it's like, how do we get this to work? What do we need done? Like, here's, a, here's a spec, go program it, make it work, you know, and you've got, you you have this much time, you know, and security isn't really, you know, an aspect, and they don't even, they don't, probably don't put it through tests on, you know, on bad input, bad output, you know, things like that, Yeah, and, and see what will happen if, if it's subjected to, to things outside the norm, which is what you would, what you would do as a software tester, you, you want to test things that aren't normal, what, Users aren't all, especially on a website, users aren't always going to do what you expect. And um, I think it's just, well, it's a medical device, you know, it's going to be hooked up to a person, you know, that we know what we're going to, you know, it's not going yeah. to change. I mean, this person is supposed to have this heart rate or whatever, or, or, or this, this parameter, and, you know, unless it's hooked up wrong, well, it, it shouldn't. We shouldn't get this. I mean, the thing that gets me is, you know, these devices are running embedded computer systems, and I've worked with embedded systems in the automotive field, and I'll tell you there, there was a ton of benchmarking. There was um, processes that had to be followed, uh, because, you know, in an automobile, if something malfunctions, it could be a life or death situation, and these medical devices aren't in the same category, in my opinion. 
there should be these benchmarks that have to be conducted uh, because it's crucial here that the device behaves uh, the way you expect it to under normal and abnormal conditions. Um, you know, so I, I think this is a great. I mean, I think this is great that they've. Uh, you know that they're the, U, the FDA is focusing on this. I think it will make these devices better and more secure. Um, and I don't know if it's a direct result of what was demonstrated at the Black Hat a, a, almost two years ago. You know, this is a response saying we we know these things can happen and we want to kind of prevent it. Well, I think it probably is, and and I, I agree with you that it is kind of uh, kind of sad that the FDA has to has to kind of push against the, the medical device manufacturers to get them to to look at this to look at the situation more closely but it, I mean it seems to be the case in a lot of areas where it, it's not you know they, they just want they just want their their things to be quick to market and and that security is something that as long if, if, if it's not it's not a primary primary concern to them, but the FDA is saying if you don't make this a primary concern, we may not approve your device, and that'll cost you money. Yeah, and we'll make it even slower to market if you don't do this. So they're effectively saying, you know, if, if your device, if you want to go quick to market, you better focus on this, or it may have an impact on how quick. So I think I think it's a good thing, and hopefully it'll. Hopefully they're they're willing to actually not you know put things to market if they do feel there's a security problem. They're, they don't pander to the to the medical device makers. That's yeah. my hope. Hopefully it's not just an empty threat. But well, I think the FDA is doing these companies a, a big favor because if they put a device out there that is proven to be vulnerable and it were attacked and it resulted in someone's death. There would be, I think there would be significant financial loss involved in that situation. I think the, the, the bad publicity they would receive over that and you know the, the, the close look at their software development and how it was released and if it was like, oh yeah, we never considered that or we never ran it through these hoops, I think there could be a lot of uh, you know, a lot of negative publicity surrounding that. And I think um, you know, I think this is one of those situations where Yes, what was demonstrated um, with the insulin pumps a couple of years ago was kind of a proof of concept and a lot of, you know, on the right device or the right situation with the right setting set, you could cause it to kind of misbehave. Um, you know, I think they're saying, well, it's all, I think they're still looking at it as hypothetical, but I'm telling you, I think this is going to be an attack vector that, that uh, folks are going to go after. And if someone's able to make a device malfunction, and you know, it hurts or kills several people. I think the company that makes that device is going to be under a lot of scrutiny, and um, you know, I think they'll regret not taking this stance from the FDA more seriously. Well, they do say they the FDA does say they've seen medical devices infected or disabled by malware. So they have seen instances of devices getting affected, but they haven't actually seen any injuries or deaths associated with it. So they've seen bad stuff, they just haven't seen bad stuff have a negative impact on the users of the medical devices themselves. So we'll see uh, what happens, but those are our two articles, and so I'll wrap it up. Uh, I hope this new video format works, I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep it up, uh, unless we can all be in the same room, <laughs> essentially. But uh, thank you to Mike Hill, I'm Preston Wiley, have a safe and secure day.